0: Kia ora, koutou katoa, welcome to Feminist Question Time from New Zealand. We are holding this webinar to address the multiple legislative and policy attacks currently being introduced in New Zealand against women's sex-based rights. These include the Births, Deaths, Marriages and Relationships Registration Bill, the Conversion Therapy Practices Prohibition Bill, and proposed hate speech legislation which would make changes to the crimes act and to the human rights act Uh, proposed changes to the adoption act to make things easier for people who are using surrogates and policy changes um, which have been happening without any legislative backup in um, statistics health education and human rights and other areas My name is Janet and I'm your host for this evening. I am the New Zealand Country Contact for the Women's Human Rights Campaign. I'm a member of Women's Liberation and I helped to found Speak Up for Women in 2018. And I was also one of the early activists for the Women's Liberation Movement in 1970. And the panelists here tonight are Beth Johnson, who's gonna talk about the Birth, deaths, marriages and relationships registration bill. Jan Rivers, who's gonna talk about the undemocratic way that these legislative and policy changes are being brought in. Dai Landy, who will focus on children's rights, especially those of Maori and Pacifica and how these are affected by the proposed changes. And Prue Hyman, who will focus on hate speech proposals and how they relate to some of the other proposals. Now this evening, we will start with a karakia from Dai Landy, and then the panelists will discuss three feminist questions. So let's start with Dai, thank you Dai, and I'd like to introduce Dai, Dai is a member of Women's Liberation Aotearoa, she is a founding member of Mana Wahine Korero, which is a newly formed indigenous group of Maori women speaking out against gender ideology. Mana Wahine Korero and Women's Liberation Aotearoa have formed a partnership in the spirit of Te Tiriti O Waitangi,
1: my ancestors who have gone before me, I offer up this prayer and ask for strength, courage, and guidance. Strength to remain true to our co-papa, courage to always stand in the light of the truth, and guidance so that our messages and words will reach their mark. This I humbly ask you. Amen.
0: Would you please tell us about yourself and your activism and what issue currently concerns you the most?
1: I'm Dai Landy. I'm from Women's Liberation, Aotearoa, as well as the founding one of the founding members of Manawahine Korero. And we're formed to fight alongside everyone else of this, um, you know, the colonising that's coming through, through the legislation, my my concerns, uh, Articles 1 to 9, are just being stomped and crushed. And whenever anyone speaks up about them, they're sanctioned. The, um, article 9 is the one I will concentrate on tonight, and that's for the protection and the rights of the child. But I've done a bit of activism, you know, protest outside the... Department of Internal Affairs, leafleting in hospitals and stickers, going around putting all the leaflets in women's clothing and um, supporting other, like when the sports petition went in I supported that and I've met with Nicola Griggs, uh, Jan Rivers kindly invited me along to meet with the Human Rights Commissioner so yes, we've been doing quite busy but Um, And I think along with Rex Landy, the best thing we ever did is shut down the rainbow reading time in Carpeti. And um, they, they were on a national tour and heaps of emails, heaps of Facebook interactions and OIAs and all sorts and we still didn't get our answer. We were asking if the performers had been police vetted and it wasn't until we pulled out the Local Government Management Information Act, that it was then canned. So that was Rex Landy and myself. So like I said, I'll be um, talking to Article 9.
0: How does the issue which concerns you which is the rights of the child uh, how, that you were talking about could you tell us more about that and how does this affect well women's end of obviously women's sex based rights includes children's rights and what can be done to uphold the rights of
1: women and children from june 2020 from the independent child monitor of new zealand there was over 6000 children in state care 59% of them are Māori, and 10% are Pacific Island. With all these bills changing, with the conversion therapy bill and the birth, deaths and marriages bill, along with the hate speech law, and then on the sides we've got the adoption and the surrogacy, These, particularly the conversion therapy and the birth, deaths and marriages is forcing Together, they are forcing social and physical, medical, experimental transition. Like at the moment, you can socially trans early, really early here. I've heard as young as two years old at the toddler stage. And and the government's teaching this. Now, this is through all our schools. So I personally don't think it's much of a stretch to think that there's 69% of state children will be put through some form of, oh gosh, some of this gender ideology. The problem for me is that through my mouldy lens, nobody's born in the wrong body. We're exactly who our tūpuna called for. And so, what this leads to is it waters down and colonizes our culture at its very roots. So, in essence, this gender ideology is weaponizing our culture to suit the Western narrative. Mm. And this is very harmful. Um, and all these practices, like I've said, it's the opposite. Mori women are warrior queens. Freedom of speech is really important to us, and we will not be silenced and we will not have our tongue tied by the state. Because mm. when I talk about this colonizing, and that I'm talking about systems and the state, and it is forcing it on our children. Where do we send our children when it's the state teaching this? I am um, 16 if you want to go work in the mine, because it's dangerous. 16, if you want to go on a fishing boat. 16 is the age of consent for sex. 18 to vote, 18 to drink, 18 to join the army. But they're saying they can transition our children as young as two, and then have all that um, auxiliary stuff, the binders, the packers. None of this is true through my mouldy lens, as well as... Or my parkier lens. It's a very, very dangerous movement for all of us. But as a, you know, I don't like to see my Māori culture trivialised and watered down inside out as um, an organisation that is offering advice. It's along with the Rainbow Tick. And I know of a young teacher, who a Māori teacher who's in bilingual school and inside out came into them. And this was only last week with this indoctrination. And she left. And But what she did find out is that they've been trying to access kōrakau papa. Now, for those of you, that's full Māori language teaching. So, yes, it's spreading. And so, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're all here fighting for our cause. But it's just really terrible to see the undermining and the watering down of our culture. And I'll end on this. Thank you, Janet, is that this isn't the first time us natives have been fooled.
0: What What are your suggestions for the future? And what can we do to going forward to protect women's and children's um, rights and um, uphold the rights in the women's Declaration.
1: Oh, everything yeah. we're already doing. And if a, you know, if we didn't have COVID, Janet, my first answer would have been we're going to have to take it to the street. Yeah. Because of the global media blackout. But we've got yep. COVID. So, more, gra- you know, yep. we've got to get grassroots, Keep keep the pressure up. We've just got to keep building the pressure and keep that pressure up. And, you know, that's by lobbying, that's by letters, that's by submissions, all that Mm. tedious stuff everyone's been doing, and you know, so, but as soon as levels go down, that's right, you know, take it to the streets, and I personally believe we're going to have to, um, because politically I just, I I lack faith that this will be halted, Mm. in, in the current format at the moment, and and, you know, my sadness, Janet, you know, with the culture and the manaakitanga and uh, the knowing a tanga being stripped of Māori as the state will take control. Mm. And, and that's, you know, this isn't the talk around the marae. In, in 18 months, I've been on five marae, and the only mm. time this gender ideology is spoken about is if I bring it up. It has not been heard of. So, you know, the, the consultation's only happening at a very, very high level. It's not coming down to grassroots. Mm. And so, you know, that's, that's my challenge to, to the government and the public service, not to us, because we're doing everything we can within our power. And, mm-hmm. you know, in solidarity, sisters, keep up that pressure.
0: Beth Johnson is one of the founders of Speak Up for Women and is a current spokeswoman for Speak Up for Women, which is a women's rights group that was formed in 2018 to oppose the government's sex self-identification bill. Beth is a mother and a marketing and communications professional. Kia ora, Beth. So my first question is, if would you please introduce yourself including some details of the area in which you have focused your activism advocating for women's sex-based rights. What legislation policy or practice currently concerns you?
2: Yeah in 2018 I was blissfully unaware of the fact that there was any threat to women's rights and could probably describe myself as a just a yeah, relaxed feminist of no particular action. Um, and then I found out about sex self-identification uh, law, first of all, what was happening in the UK, and then became aware that the same thing was happening in New Zealand. And um, yeah, I just couldn't believe what I was saying. Um, so that really awoke the feminist fire in me and um, uh, with a bunch of really um, fantastically smart people, um, I bought basically the comms and marketing to the formation of Speak Up for Women. Um, and so helped um, build that organization. And um, yeah, we've been running it ever since. And we formed in 2018 to fight sex self-identification, which was being slipped through without public consultation in New Zealand. So we um, fought really hard um, and (coughs) ran a public awareness campaign um, to stop the government doing that change. It was a really um, poorly thought through piece of um, legislation that would allow people to self-identify their sex, on their birth certificate. So that is falsifying their birth certificate um, via nothing more than a statutory declaration which is signing a piece of paper declaring that they're the opposite sex. Um, and so we ran a, ca- a campaign pointing out that the legal flaws and the knock-on effects this would have to other bills in New Zealand, um, that it would actually conflate the separate concepts of sex and gender um, in our laws. Uh, now, Off the back of that campaign, the government actually deferred Mm -hmm. that bill in 2019. So they parked it, they stopped it. Um, But now we have a new government. um, Sex self-identification is back, um, Mm -hmm. and it's back with a vengeance. It's just passed its second reading, and the government has just given us um, less than three weeks um, for um, public uh, consultation. And New Zealand is in a level four COVID lockdown. So that means that Speak Up for Women can't run the um, campaign that we intended to Uh, which was going to include leafleting and um, all sorts of um, meetings to get people uh, making submissions. So it's really undemocratic process. Um, But nonetheless, we will be campaigning um, really hard over the next couple of weeks, mostly digitally and online. Yeah.
0: How does this legislation policy or practice, um, in this case, the um, self ID legislation, affect women's sex based rights as outlined in the Women's Declaration? What particular rights do you think are affected and why? And what can be done to uphold
2: them? The main um, issue that we're focusing on is actually um, women's rights, which is an existing right um, covered in our own Human Rights um, Act legislation here in New Zealand, but also international conventions to uh, for women and girls to have single sex spaces and services for reasons of privacy, dignity and safety. Uh, now that is undermined. Um, by um, allowing sex self-identification. Probably everyone on the school is well aware of that issue. Um, The bill, which has just gone through its second reading and is now open to public consultation, is actually better than it was in its original form. Um, So when we were campaigning in 2018 and 2019, um, the bill, um, it was really unclear if the lawmakers meant to conflate or maintain the separation between the concepts of sex and gender. The new bill makes it clearer um, that um, sex and gender are different. um, And it actually says, uh, paraphrasing, that a birth certificate is no longer reliable evidence of sex. (laughs) So it's allowing people to nominate a sex on their birth certificate but it's also saying a birth certificate isn't definitive evidence of your sex for the purposes of um, accessing single sex spaces and services. So um, as far as we're concerned that's an improvement on the legal wording um, and we're really glad that the campaign um, that so many um, people on this call ran in 2018-2019 actually brought about that change. Um, But um, our concern is, and what we'll be um, focusing our submissions on during this um, public consultation, is how will that work in practice? Um, How will single-sex service providers resolve any doubt or dispute about someone's eligibility for access to a single-sex service? Uh, Because there won't be any New Zealand identity document anymore that can be relied upon to provide evidence of sex. Um, so a service provider can't ask you know, to see any piece of paper that will, will resolve in their mind for them if this person is a male or a female. Um, and um, original birth records will be sealed. So um, it will only be like the Justice Department that will actually be able to access anybody's original birth records. Um, Certainly a provider of a female gym or a spa won't have access to those records. Um, So as it stands, they're going to have to risk going to court, for example, to discover somebody's birth sex if they want to exclude a male-presenting male person from their service who happens to have a um, a birth certificate saying they're female. Um, So our concern is really that practical implementation. um, and we um, are concerned that uh, women's service providers will simply allow uh, males access um, to avoid this confusing area because there's no clear way now of, of resolving any um, conflicts. Um, and thus it undermines women's um, existing rights, even though the law professes to um, intend to uphold the existing rights. Um, yeah, so that's the main concern. Um, in terms of what we can do, um, what we can do to resolve it, um, we we need everybody to make public um, submissions because it's not it's not the law yet, um, and so we'll share with everyone on this call um, the links to uh, we're p- publishing next Wednesday some guidance on how to make submissions and we've obtained some legal advice that's informing those um, that guidance. Um, so by the middle of next week we'll be ready to make our submissions and we'd love for everyone um, to pitch in on that. Uh, it's really important that people make submissions the more the merrier.
0: We're looking to the future now with question three. So Beth, um, what are your suggestions for future directions for (laughs) New Zealand to protect women's sex-based rights and to uphold the rights in the Women's Declaration?
2: Uh, Yes, I think it's really important that um, firstly, uh, we continue to um, pressure the government and then potentially run a campaign directly to service providers to make them aware of their existing rights because you know your average beautician or spa or gym owner is not going to be aware of the fact that they still have the right to exclude a male person who presents a female birth certificate so it's really important that the people who actually run these services are aware of their rights Um, so that's one thing I think um, As um, Dice talked about, the um, education that's going on in our schools, we have to combat that um, because, um, you know, our children are going to grow up and be the adults of the future and they need to understand their rights and the importance of of sex-based rights and feminism, so really focusing on that area is going to be key. we'll be preparing uh, for the inevitable test case um, that will come before our courts once this law passes. Um, and when somebody with a self-identified birth certificate is denied access to a single sex service, uh, that will ultimately end up in courts. And that court decision will be um, really pivotal in, in our society's understanding of um, our sex-based rights. Um, so yeah, those are the main, the main ones. And mm. um, I, I think one we haven't even talked about yet, which is on the horizon in New Zealand is um, surrogacy legislation. Um, and I think it's another issue that's going to impact um, the uh, lowest socioeconomic group of New Zealand more so than, than others. Um, when you can buy women's bodies to make babies, um, that's on the horizon um, coming soon.
0: So now I'd like to introduce Jan Rivers. Um, Jan is a former public servant Um, originally from England and living in Wellington. She's an activist and has done work for open government and against trade agreements. Her activism has roots in lesbian and feminist politics. Together with Jill Abigail, she has written a policy paper on the problems with gender medicine and children and young people in New Zealand. More recently, they have co-written another paper entitled, What do they do in the shadows? The rapid implementation of gender ideology in the New Zealand public sector. Jan, would you please tell us about yourself and your activism, and what issue currently concerns you the most? Uh, kia
3: ora Koto. So, um, for a long time, I've I've um, I've worked on other things. You know, I started work on the, these issues of women's rights back in late 2018. But before that, I was doing things on open government and on trade agreements. And it was when I started seeing um, women being kind of metaphorically beaten up on social media that I kind of started to look and see what was going on with this issue. And um, I found it impossible to let go of since. So um, the two issues, as as um, Janet mentioned, that I've been working on, one of them is about uh, puberty blockers and the effects, and, and, and the effects that gender medicine is having on young people. And the second one is this whole issue of what it might be called policy capture, um, so I guess if I'm thinking about w- how that fits in terms of the women's human rights um, campaign, it, it sort of fits under topics of, you know, that w- the rights of women are based on the category of sex, that we're, we have rights to freedom of opinion and freedom of expression, uh, that we have rights to political organisation on the basis of sex, and also around the, the children and medicine, the, the idea of th- th- that being where the protecting the rights of the child become important. So the, 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 the real impetus um, to what I've been doing has been around policy was the article by um, Lucy uh, Blackburn and uh, anyway, the article from Scotland, which was about policy capture in Scotland. And um, Jill and I started to look at what was going on. And w- what we discovered was that um, self-identification in public policy was happening irrespective of the fact that the law had not been passed. And moreover, that that the whole idea of gender ideology throughout the New Zealand public sector is completely ubiquitous. It's as if the, the whole of the public sector has been captured. And partly that's been as a result of, well, I mean, obviously international stuff, but um, specifically and, and this sounds good in some ways, our State Sector Act, which had been an act which kind of brought in neoliberalism, which dated from the mid 80s, was changed for a thing called the Public Services Act. And in some ways, that's good for government. It's it stops. It makes it it sort of makes it a more democratic um, um, law, but it's brought in inclusion and diversity as a mandate to all public uh, sector organisations. And again, that doesn't sound too bad, except that it, it, inclusion and diversity seems far more than any other group of people with disadvantage, like young young Maori men or new migrants or refugees or people with disabilities. Transgender people seem to be at the absolute top of the heap in terms of this inclusion and diversity. How does the
0: issue which concerns you, which um, uh, the most, um... How does that affect women's sex-based rights and what can be done to uphold our sex-based
3: rights? One of the things that has not happened in our public sector is that they haven't looked across these four pieces of law and looked at either the interrelationships or the unintended consequences. So it seems to me that, for example, with self-ID and hate speech, it's all very well saying that you can challenge somebody on the basis of sex if it turns out to be hate (laughs) speech to actually identify that somebody is transgender you know that's the kind of thing that we don't really know about yet and for example you know if it's if it's hate speech to say that children um, you know that children are badly affected by gender medicine you know that I mean there are all sorts of potential hidden hooks and traps I think in these laws and nobody you know the, the the wonderful thing with the public sector is that they they talk about accountability which means I'm going to look after my plot and, and 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 make make sure that nobody can kick my ass. But I'm actually not going to look across a whole range. And as we've taken our policy paper round, it's become quite clear that, that is there is there are no open doors in government to make them aware of large systemic overriding problems. Those doors just do not exist. You know, it's, it's impossible to find the person who can say, bloody hell, you know, you've shown me a huge systemic problem. I think we need to you know, take that to X and kind of come, put up, come together with a, a kind of cross-agency working party that looks at this. They, they simply don't have that kind of ability. So this was the, this was the spur for our, for our work. It was the article by um, Kath Murray and Lucy Hunter Blackburn, the way the Scottish government worked. And they discovered that despite the lack of self-ID, they were changing the census and changing the prison system. And that was the spur to what we were doing. And um, we, we, we did a piece, a huge, quite a big piece of work. And we looked, first of all, across some generic things. But then we started looking down and we did some case studies of individual government agency. So the Human Rights Commission, there are a number of problems there. Its role is to encourage harmonious relationships between individuals and the diverse populations in New Zealand. It simply doesn't do that with respect to women. It, on every occasion when there is a conflict between the rights that women have and the rights that transgender people have, they come down on the side of transgender people. So if that means transgender women in women's refuges or in women's gyms or in women's sports, like with Laurel Hubbard, they are vocal. You know, they don't speak out for women ever, but they often speak out for trans, transgender people. Um, back in, I think, 2019, they did a huge report, which was almost like their calling card to the next government about what they wanted to see. And it had um, all sorts of quite shocking things in there, like that everyone has a gender identity. Um, they said that lesbian and gay legalist and social issues have been met and there are no further problems. That's why they have to focus on transgender people. And they also redefined homosexuality as same gender attraction. Um, and they they, they they act as if the Yogyakarta principles are law, as if self ID is already in place. Um, and even as they do that, they put in their briefing to the incoming minister that we, we, we don't actually have these rights yet, even though we've been pretending acting as if we have. A public services unit used to be the State, sector, uh, state Services Commission, it's now the Public Services Commission. Um, and the, the one thing that I wanted to mention is that in the same way that um, Stonewall work in order to influence government in the UK, There's a part of government which, well, a lot lot of our government agencies are signed up to something called the Rainbow Tick, which is a kind of a bit of an an authentication, how well are we doing? And it has the same kinds of effects of creating a competition between government agencies. And the way that plays out is through a biannual combined agencies Rainbow Network gala conference, which happens in Parliament. And that's where all of the government agencies kind of show off to each other about how well they're doing on on, um, uh, not so much lesbian and gay stuff but mostly transgender stuff. Um, Another thing that happened about 2019 was that our Ministry of Social Development which looks after pensions and social welfare, disability benefits, decided without any policy work, without any analysis, without any public notification, without any consultation except with um, rainbow organisations, that they would allow any client to self- ID, including to say that they were non-binary. And that, that whole idea that this this whole thing about gender ideology is to get rid of sex as a category. You know effectively, in the UK, people have gone to law to hold a judicial review in order to say that they're non-binary. In New Zealand, it happened without any, without even policy work. They said it wasn't policy work. Um, And somebody from the Human Rights Commission in the consultation, we did this through an Official Information Act request, said, um, We keep this undercover, we don't want it in the media. Um, There are some fantastic other examples that we uncovered around um, prisons, around stats. Stats New Zealand um, has relabeled sexual orientation, the same as, um, same as the Human Rights Commission, the same gender attraction. It said that sometimes can sex can change over the course of a lifetime. It ran an entire year, um, a consult- consultative group consisting entirely of transgender activists in order to inform this whole process. And at the end, after having spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, they came up with a standard which cannot be used for medicine. So it can't actually be used to determine sex in medicine.
0: What do you think we can do going forward to protect women's
3: sex-based rights in, in the future? I've been looking just recently about what's, what's been happening overseas and, um, and some of the things that look hopeful and that therefore we need to really focus on. And some of them are um, aspirational, I guess, and some of them are kind of realistic. And at the moment, um, one of the things that is really, really important about what's happening in, in, the, in New Zealand as compared with overseas is the absolutely minimal focus that we get in, the news, in New Zealand's media. And I think we really need to um, make that uh, a big topic. And I think that there's a, a really good case for a report on exactly what's happening in New Zealand's media on, on only one occasion has the fundamental um, s- statement about what our concerns are been made clear in the media to say that, you know, in, in TP3 News about a month ago, there was the line along the lines of um, Speak Up for Women are concerned that, that women's rights are going to be overridden if, if um, self ID is brought into place. And never before or since has that been made so clear. You know, the, the descriptions are always controversial group seeks dot, dot, dot. And um, the other thing is that when uh, Speak Up Women took a court case, that, that was in the news. When they won the court case, it, it was barely in the news. So, uh, whereas, for example, in the UK, you've got commentators from the Financial Times and the Spectator to the Morning Star and the... the um, uh, the, the new statesman. So you've got a really broad range of, of coverage. So we need to we need to make sure that we take a case to the media council or some some other way of really raising that issue. Um, we in the UK there've been the various court cases like the Forstetter case and the Akua Rindorf report on Essex University, and um, those pieces of. Um, Work which should be influential in New Zealand, that that case needs to be made. Um, as Beth alluded, I think it's appalling that we're being put in the situation where, instead of implementing principles-based law that can can be broadly understood, that we're actually looking at a situation where the, the the situation the situation for women is going to be dealt with through a court case. And I think it's really important that as we make submissions to the Birth, Deaths, and Marriages Act, that we make that clear. You know the. Law is about principles and it's about abiding situations. It's not about creating a situation where case law actually decides how things happen. We can't afford $100,000 every time, every time the law is overridden to the disadvantage of women. Um, And uh, just like Stonewall in the UK, we can't allow our public service to to have its influence ceded to third-party organizations with vested interests. There's a whole lot about academic freedom, about free speech. Um, I'm really interested in an article that I read recently about um, what's going on in Sweden and how in Sweden, the belief that somebody's written a very persuasive article, a guy called Lindstrom, about how the fact that COVID got away in Sweden was because of the postmodernist beliefs of the Swedish government. And I think that it's a very convincing article. Um, and then the other thing I think we need to do is partner with scientists, artists, restaurants, all the other people within New Zealand society who are being canceled. Um, and I think ultimately we we should look at um, a law commission review is a part of the New Zealand government that will sort of review overriding um, things. And I, I haven't worked out how we get to speak to them yet. In theory, we should be able to approach Transparency International, which is a um, an organisation that sort of talks about probity in government. Um, but I'm not holding out great hopes for that. The other thing that I just wanted to say is that when um, Speak Up for Women, Beth and others defeated, excuse me, the law the first time round, it was with about five women who could be named, and we now know that there are we could probably we could probably identify up to almost up to a 1000 women who are involved in this fight now, not that many of them out there in public, there'd be a couple of hundred whose names are in public, but I think that's a real good part of our strength into the future. So now
0: I'd like to introduce Prue Hyman, Prue Hyman was a feminist economist at the Victoria University of Wellington, academic there, she worked for the New Zealand Ministry of Women's Affairs, when it was a real feminist um, place. She helped organize the Women's Studies Association and has been on the board of the International Association of Feminist Economics. She assisted the lawyers and unions with the Christine Bartlett versus Terra Nova Equal Pay Act case and is active in the living wage movement. Her 1994 book, Women and Economics, a New Zealand Feminist Perspective was updated in 2017. She has written extensively on lesbian issues and has been an active broadcaster on lesbian radio. So, Prue, would you please tell us about yourself and your activism and what issues, issue or issues currently concerns you the most?
4: I'm getting on getting on in years these days, and so I've been involved around feminist lesbian activities for 40 years or so, and uh, I've mostly been involved in as... As an academic, I had to, you know, be a little bit careful, and I was involved mostly in women and work type stuff, paid and unpaid work, um, but I also worked a fair bit on lesbian issues as well, and and got my students activated, which was pretty important too, and some of them still are, which is excellent. Um, These days I'm retired from paid work, which is a great... uh, um relief in many ways except for that I miss my students and so I've got a bit more time to to put in um to these sadly these new things we thought of course as feminists and as lesbians that we would accomplished a lot over the years and uh indeed in some ways we had but um these latest threats to us from what's going on both in Aotearoa New Zealand and around the world are, are really serious and uh what the others have referred to already I'm I'm very um, equally working on. I particularly work within Lava, the lesbian, uh, it's a, a revived organisation that was around in the 80s when we were fighting for homosexual law reform with the guys and for human rights of course legislation that would encompass lesbians and uh, we got the first in 1986 and the second not until 1993 and after that we tended to sort of take a bit of a breather on some of the issues and think we'd accomplish quite a lot. Some people work for lesbian and gay marriage. That's not an enthusiasm of mine. Um, since uh, I'm not for simply saying we are just the same as you. Um, but there we go. That's a, a, an issue. It's a little bit honest tonight. Um, but the, the latest threat to both uh, women in general and lesbians in particular uh, is um is really serious um, because uh, the 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 extremists of the transgender movement, of course we uh, believe in transgender human rights like anybody else's human rights, but the extremists of the transgender movement are really um, threatening lesbian and women's rights and the pretense that they are not is a real worry. Um, and in particular, also they are actually deplatforming us um, worldwide, from J.K. Rowling and J- Lindell and uh, Sheila Jeffries to people in New Zealand as well. We are being not even permitted to to say what's going on, and uh, we take it we, we have to fight like mad as. Um, um, <coughs> Beth will talk about with this FUFW to even get a platform to get a space to talk. And uh, there, the one I'm particularly concentrating on at the moment is hate speech, um, which, along with the conversion therapy and the First Test and Marriages Act, they all link together to threaten us. And uh, on the hate, hate speech, um, hasn't reached the Uh, the drafting of the legislation yet but it has um, had a discussion paper that we've lava put in a uh, submission on that I did the first draft of um, to say that really we've got to uh, we shouldn't be strengthening hate speech legislation at all, although free speech has to have some limits um, the worry is who decides and so on and so that's the area on which I'm working most at the moment
0: How does the issue which concerns you, um, you've mentioned hate speech is what you're focusing on, Uh, how does that affect um, women's
4: sex-based rights and what can
0: be done to uphold our rights?
4: In some ways, hate speech seems less important than the other issues that have been raised, but of course, they're also damn linked. And uh, at the moment, they're behaving, a lot of the media, government departments, as Jan's explained... Um, are behaving as though it was hate speech to question that trans women are women. Um, and already, um, even though there is no legislation that justifies it at present, the Human Rights Act hasn't changed, the Birth, Death, and Marriages Act haven't changed yet, conversion therapy is none of that is through yet. And yet, government departments are behaving as though they had been changed as though it was already quite clear that uh, gender triumphs over sex, that, um, or even that they get elided. People pretend that they are not different. And I think that's one of the things we have to push for like mad, is that sex cannot be changed. Um, okay, there is there is a possibility of changing it on the birth certificate now, but that is a legal fiction in a way that everybody knows that, Basic sex cannot be changed. Um, gender identity is another matter, which um, is a very interesting and difficult one, on which there's a huge literature. Uh, a lot of us do not feel the need to uh, say anything about gender. We are we are sexually adult females, and uh, that is our our sex. We are women, and that's all there is to it. But um, the problem is that even now, without any Extensions to hate speech legislation, um, people are, are really scared about saying what they, what they really think. Uh, loads of people are being um, having trouble in their workplaces because of it. In New Zealand as much as anywhere else, it hasn't had as much publicity here. But people are getting fired, people are getting deplatformed. That's without any extension to the hate speech legislation if we get the hate speech legislation, we don't have the bill yet, but we have the recommendations from a, uh, a working group. That working group was set up um, because of the appalling Christchurch mosque uh, attacks, which of course we are all horrified by, but the commission that, uh, that wrote um, out of that recommended an extension to hate speech legislation, and then this working group has uh, has recommended changes. It's called for submissions, which have now closed, and we've all um, put in submissions on that. We will get another bite at the cherry, of course, when the actual legislation is drafted. But it's a real worry. It will involve also changes to the Human Rights Act, um, where it's recommended that gender, is put in, hopefully in addition to sex, but even then, that will create a hell of a mess as to entirely a matter of interpretation. And uh, so it really is very, very important that we indicate that free speech is essential. It's us that are getting silenced. And uh, it's ironic that the left wing, traditional left wingers are in favour of all this Extensions to hate speech and the and the whole in favour of everything that the transgender movement wants to happen and the right wing that are against it that causes a lot of problems for a lot of us, but nevertheless it's essential that um, that we fight against the changes any changes that come into uh, that are proposed for hate speech legislation just as we fight against the the other changes that uh, the others have already mentioned.
0: What do you think we can do going forward? to protect women's um sex-based rights
4: i agree with everybody else we've got to we've got to do all those things we've got to act on all fronts and i think you know some people are better at some things than others some are better at submissions some are better at cartoons some are better at uh, um organizing street marches and um, uh, and so on there's i think we've got to try and do everything we've got somehow to try and scare the politicians um, mm. At the moment, there just isn't enough um, awareness that there are a hell of a lot of people who don't agree with them. And, of course, at grassroots level, as um, as Di said, a hell of a lot of people don't know anything about this still. Mm. Even, even people that are quite well informed normally on things. It's only recently that media has covered much of it at all, and it's covered it in such a totally biased way. That our points don't get across. Um, I mean, some people are very faithful. Jill Abigail always has got letters in the paper and so on, and the listeners covered it a bit, but there's been very, very little on our side, and it's very hard to get it. So we some and yet there are surveys that say that, you know, 60% of people think it's nonsense for Laurel Hubbard to be representing New Zealand as a woman. Um, when you do actually get to uh, ordinary people, they think it's a nonsense. And the only way you can really, I think, uh, we can really pull it back is by um, getting much, much larger numbers on our side and knowing about it and making a fuss about it. And, you know, that's we all have to work really hard on that in whichever way we can. And I absolutely agree with getting to the streets when we can and also getting on trying to influence more people I don't know I'm not a social media person that's an expert how the heck do we get to the the whole grassroots that's what I'd really like to
0: do